Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantages of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the ARMCHAIR All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls podcast. I'm your host and contributor to thebirdrights.com, Preston Ellis. Uh, today, we are recapping a disappointing couple of weeks, uh, but we are commenting on some recent trade chatter that's been picking up involving both Lonzo Ball and J.J. Redick, according to Shams Charania, and likely Eric Bledsoe, but we've assumed Bledsoe has been on the market all along, so uh, there just hasn't been a suitor for him, uh, we'd assume. Uh, to join me today, our editor-in-chief, Mr. Ali Cosell. Ali, how are you? I'm doing well, Preston. Doing very well. Thank you. Um, just want to say that the Wizards are going to be in town and some guy named Bradley Beal is going to be in okay. town. So, you know, more than half the fan base is just like, can he just stay behind? Right. <laughs> uh, also joining us, the host of Hard in the Paint, uh, Mr. David Grubb. David, everybody's been talking about pelicans twitter imploding but i guess i've just muted all the right people because i really haven't seen much of it have you i'm not in these beefs yeah i don't understand where everybody is i see the i see it kind of on my periphery and i watch you know little explosions here and there but it's not worth i i just don't get it i don't understand the vitriol i well i guess where i know where it stems from it's born of but um pelicans twitter is a tough place to be right now if you are involved in those kerfuffles as our friend here to that you are about to introduce is <laughs> finds himself constantly in the middle of he's he's what we affectionately like to call a pot stir i feel like fish is like our twitter muscle uh speaking of him let's bring him in you can follow him at fish <laughs> underscore tbw mr david fisher who off the top rope just elbowed me right in my frank jackson loving throat last night fish how are you my friend Hey, man, all I did was speak the truth on Frank Jackson <laughs> because, uh, yeah. Um, and um, I, I wouldn't call, consider myself a Twitter enforcer. Um, I've been v- probably one of the most positive people on Twitter. Um, I broke a little bit after the Minnesota game, but um, <laughs> I, I got myself back under control the following morning. So um, I'm I'm excited for this discussion because I've been waiting it for it for a while. Here it comes. 
The dreaded words, Lonzo Ball on the trade market. Shams Charania was the first one to report it, uh, but we had a couple other outlets say the same thing. Uh, Ali, the first thing that I'll start with is typically, I think in our experience, when something comes from the front office of the New Orleans Pelicans, typically it's reported by Adrian Wojnarowski. That's just like our recent experience over the last uh, 18 months, I'd say. So this seems to indicate that it's either coming from another side or it might even, in fact, be coming from one of the players' agents. Just how much validity to this report do you give? And do you think we're we're like on the precipice of seeing these players moved? Well, I think since it's coming from Shams, I don't think we need to even talk about questioning the validity, right? I mean, he, he, when, you, when you basically think of breaking in being used, especially trade rumors, of course you think Woj first, but right behind him is Shams, at least in my book. So I don't think there's any doubt that the report is valid. And it, it let's face it, it, it meets like all the logical tests that you want to give it, right? I mean, the Pelicans are 5-10. and 10. They have two guys that are supposedly on a block in Ball and Reddick that are in contract years. And when you combine that with, you know, the lack of growth of this team, what's behind them, as I, I'm going to let Fish talk about Kyra and Nikhil, that it just makes all the sense in the world to move on from them, right? We always thought that J.J. Reddick was going to, this was going to be his last year if he would have even made it through, all the way through. It's looking like that's not going to happen. And with Lonzo Ball, it's always come down to, and I'm going to let Fish talk about this too because I saw he did that in his article, is the fact that Ball is going to need a new contract. And there's been wild speculation as to how much it's going to take to sign him. But I think for New Orleans, it's probably going to be out of their ballpark and it just doesn't make enough sense, right? I mean, I talked about it yesterday in my article when as soon as the trade rumor broke. But look, Lonzo Ball doesn't seem suited at all in Stan Van Gundy's system. I know it's only been 15 games, but look, if you're not running, you know, basically, or trying to push it in transition, and you can't even get the rebound because the Pelicans are so good at rebounding, suddenly Balls is kind of just walking up the ball, if he does have it, up the court, and then tossing it to B.I. as soon as he crosses half-court line or somebody else, maybe Zion, and it goes stands in half a, in, in, in a corner. And with him getting off to a really slow start shooting the ball, and he's not added to his game as much as we would like, right? Driving in closer, either getting to the rim or in the paint to look to score, facilitate. Since he's not doing any of that, he's just really been a net negative offensively. I think his defense isn't getting enough love. I mean, I think he's by far the Pelicans, honestly, best one-on-one defender from the perimeter. And some stats I was looking at bear it out. But like I said, it comes down to the contract and the fact that Kyra and Nikhil are behind him. So, no, I'm not surprised at all. And I'm glad you mentioned Bledsoe. And I think we should talk about him too, Preston, because there's no doubt he's got to be on a trade block too. Yeah, I want to go to Grub next because this is something that Grub and I talked to all the way back to last. It not making sense for either party to do an extension uh, before this season played out. And now as we see this season play out, Fish report on this on thebirdrights.com. Since the bubble, Lonzo is doing 10 points, 5.4 assists, 4.2 rebounds, while shooting 36.5% from the field, 28.8% from three. However, Grub, uh, here's my caveat is I, I understand why it makes sense. Uh, I understand the system problem. However, we have seen the good sides of Lonzo Ball and not so so much a small sample size. Over 38 games last season um, from the time he was reinstilled into the starting lineup until uh, the virus uh, just stampeded everything. He was doing 13 and a half points, 7.7 assists, 7.1 rebounds on 40.4% from three on 6.7 threes per game. That's a really significant sample size. So grab my fear is that if the Pelicans move him now, his value has never been lower. Uh, is this the right time to move him, Grub? 
Um, I've, I've I've done this now from I guess from every angle, and I wanted to make sure that I thought about it from every possible side before we had this discussion. And I can make a case, a convincing case, I believe, for any justification to keep or move Lonzo right now, tomorrow, or, or you know, or resign him. I could, I could, you could make a convincing case for all of those things if you really want to bend your mind to do so. But it comes down to me to, to the thing that the most compelling case that, that overall is, at some point the Pelicans have decided, and we'll find out in the future if it's correct or not, but they have decided that the two pieces that they're going to build around are Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. And they have committed a significant amount of money to Steven Adams, who is not going to be moved in the near future. So those three things put you in a certain spot. They have a large number of salaries who are either going to be restricted free agents or unrestricted free agents at the end of this season. They have two young players under rookie contracts, three, excuse me, three young players under rookie contracts that they want to at least understand what their true value is in Jackson Hayes, Tyra Lewis, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Everybody else on this roster, including Lonzo Ball, to me, then becomes expendable. Whether or not their talent um, is is uh, compatible or not, um, I don't know. I, I, it just feels that it's not worked for Lonzo and New Orleans for whatever reason. But that being said, and I've said this too, is I don't think the Pelicans, there's nothing that he could do positive or negative to me if it were me in this situation as a general manager that would convince me or dissuade me from re-signing it. If my intention were to do either, I have a number at which that I would have thought that that's okay. I have a level of production in which I either anticipate or think is okay. And I'm moving forward in that direction. I believe the Pelicans have no commitment to Alonzo Ball. And that's fine. That's their decision to make. So to me, the best thing is let's move forward. Now, my argument will go forward to this. I don't want to take this now, but my thing would be what is the priority in the return? Because I think there are significant priorities in the return. And I think that's where we'll have the most disagreement ultimately. Now, Fish, I want you to comment on your uh, wonderfully written article that I just read this morning. Uh, Before we get to it, I want to talk about how this is going to affect the pillars, uh, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, because my fear right now is what did we always say with Alvin Gentry was that he wasn't taking the best advantage of the players he had on the floor, regardless of who was on the floor. He was going to run his system. He was going to run up and down the court, whether Boogie was there or not. And now with Stan Van Gundy, we have SVG like admitting throughout uh, the offseason that this Pelicans team needs to run, that they they flourish full court, that Lonzo Ball's the best at, uh, you know, uh, pushing the pace, and yet the Pelicans are 23rd in pace. My worry is that Stan Van Gundy hasn't been taking best advantage of who he has on the floor. Now, back to what I was saying before is, are you worried about the aspect of breaking up this team again and again with Zion and Brandon Ingram and how it can affect them? No, I'm not. I mean, it's the NBA. Teams don't we how we think of teams staying together and how teams actually stay together are two completely different things. Um, there are very few teams that stay together long term. Like, for instance, you can think of the like the Thunder is probably the best example. Um, the early Thunder, they didn't stay together that long, and there were multiple big changes. I mean, Jeff Green was traded very early on for Kendrick Perkins, and then not but one or two seasons later um james harden was sent out um and then they drafted stephen adams as the new center i mean teams change from year to year 
And I think what we're seeing is, is that the Pelicans, first and foremost, they're prioritizing the development and fit around Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, which means um, I, I feel like what, what, they're, what they're seeing is, one, with those two guys, you need a defender at center because Brandon uh, Zion Williamson at center isn't an option. The defense is going to be horrendous if you go that direction. So they've tried to shore that up first with Derek Favors and now with Steven Adams. And now it's an issue of if you have Steven Adams and you have Zion Williamson, what do you need from the other guys? And what they need from the other guys is a lot more shooting and ability and desire to penetrate and create advantage for the other players. And you're not getting any of those things from Zion Williamson. I mean, from Lonzo ball, what you do get from him is the defense. And I think the Pelicans will say that what they need from both backcourt positions is going to be defense first and foremost, but on the offense end, they need spacing and they need players that can attack the rim. And what we're seeing from Lonzo ball is he only brings the dis- the defensive component to that, which is why he doesn't appear to be a long-term piece. Yeah, uh, it's a harsh reality. It's it's hard for me to fully wrap my head around. I understand the inconsistency concerns and just things just aren't working with the unit as currently constructed. It's it's just hard for me because we did see the best of Lonzo Ball for nearly half a full season of basketball where he was playing like close to a fringe all-star level player. At least he seemed to be the perfect fit with Zion. I want to transition to J.J. Redick, Ali, and talk about viably what we can expect to get with him if the Pelicans do move him. We talked before the season about the Pelicans moving him because it just makes sense. He's 36. He is closer to the end than he is uh, to the beginning. He openly discussed playing with LeBron James on his podcast and said that it was a dream for him. And even though he's been terrible this year, last year he was number one in the NBA among three-point shooters who shot 3.5 shots per game or more at a sizzling 45.3%. Ali, what do you think Pelicans fans can hope to expect in a return for Redick? Not a lot. Not a lot at all. I think had JJ gotten off to his typical usual self and be right now currently around the 40% mark from three, making an impact offensively for the Pelicans, then I think you could have hoped for maybe like a super late first round pick, or but more likely a second round pick or some decent young guy that's not made it Maybe he's on his second destination or he's about to leave his first or something along those lines. But now you almost have to wonder because he's, to me, he's borderline where teams aren't going to want to give up really anything of value. So I think there's a reason why we've kind of heard maybe the Pelicans are interested in Kelly Oubre because they know that the Warriors are interested in J.J. Redick before the season. But suddenly I think the asking price for the Warriors is much higher than just a simple flip, Right. Because Oubre is at least providing them 30-plus minutes. Um, he's he's an adequate defender. He'll give you some offense. But he, he's an adequate NBA player on a lot of nights. J.J. Redick is not. I mean, for, for all the wonderful stuff he's done over his career, especially from a shooting perspective, that's even come into question right now. I mean, personally, I think J.J. looks fine to the eye. I don't think he looks like he's slowed down. All of a sudden, there's maybe something, you know, age is coming into it. But – it's been 15 games and he hasn't really shaken the slump. So no, I mean, I, I think people that are wanting to suddenly, you know, pencil in some kind of great return. No, it's going to require another piece from the Pelicans moving. 
um, or, you know, the Pelicans are going to have to give up a future asset in order to get something that, you know, is going to get the fan base excited about. Hey, Preston. Yeah. Um, I just, I just, if, if, if this is the start of it, if J.J. Lonzo, however, is the start of this, and we've also talked about Bledsoe, I'm of the mindset that, quite frankly, the Pelicans need to be thinking then, if the direction is you know that no matter what you get back, for, for Lonzo, for J.J., whatever it is, it's not going to be something that's going to put you on a game that's on a run that's going to have you in 20 out of your next 25 or 20 out of the next 30 for this team. So to me, then you make the decision, a lot of these guys in their last year, you're Josh Hart's as well. You start thinking about moving him as well. And getting what I've always considered to be the biggest part of this is professional basketball players. Because the one thing I don't want to see the job for Stan Van Gundy made is harder by bringing in more players who must be taught in a season where you are playing literally every other night. No, thank you, Grub. Go ahead and check your internet connect, uh, connection for us. Uh, you're getting a little fuzzy there, but that's exactly Sorry. what I was about to ask you is uh, Stan Van Gundy made such a point uh, to talk about and discuss veteran leadership last season. He brought in a bunch of young players, uh, blue chip caliber talent, but he still wanted guys in the locker room who could teach them, you know, the right ways to play, the right ways to prepare and the right ways ultimately to win. And Drew Holiday was obviously a part of that. Derek Favors was a part of that. And principally, J.J. Redick was a part of that. And he was a big score for the Pelicans last offseason. Now, I want to test Scrubs. Um, internet connection. But when we go back to Grub, talk about how important it is to replace that identity. Because if you don't replace uh, the identity of a veteran-led team, then all of a sudden you're just led by a bunch of young guys who don't know how to play bas- basketball. And then ultimately you're tanking. And just from what we've heard from David Griffin, the energy that he's exuded since joining this franchise, tanking has really never been in his verbiage, uh, Grub. No. And, and so I think that if you're trying to build a winning culture, You can do that with short-term veterans who at the very least are going to practice hard every day, who are going to compete every night as professionals, if for nothing else than their futures in the NBA. And to show you that kind of discipline, guys who can do the things that your young players struggle at doing, like moving the basketball, like defending on ball, find those things and those um, types of players to surround your young players with and build those good habits. I would much rather have that than more young players who require time on the floor and they're trying to find their NBA identities. Give me some fully formed, even if flawed players over more youngsters that I have to spend time with and say, please don't do this. Please let me correct your defensive position. Please let me get your hand work, you know, your hand position properly. All those things, Stanley does not need that on top of what he's going through this season. Yeah, sorry, Fish, we're going to get over to you now. I want to talk about your article. Uh, I prefaced it earlier, but basically I'm a little nervous to move Lonzo because I think there is some sort of possibility that maybe the Pelicans will want to match whatever offer is made for him this offseason. Based on how he's performing right now, it doesn't look like he's going to be as expensive as we feared. However, you're of the mind that it's time to just kind of cut bait, get what you can for these uh, players, and then just give Kyra Lewis and Nikhil Alexander-Walker the minutes that they need and that they deserve right now. Make that argument for us. The best way to learn is to play. And what, um, I mean, there, there, there isn't a lot of 
historical reference to to have a player that was drafted as high as Kyra was in the draft, a lottery pick, who then just kind of sat as a point guard and didn't play for a year or two behind somebody else. Um, I mean, he has a he he has more than a handful of you know did not play coaches' decisions on his plate and most of the other games where he did log minutes, it was just garbage time minutes because the margin was too large in one way or the other. And he needs real minutes to be able to learn how to play at the NBA level. Um, Nikhil, obviously at this point, Nikhil's getting rotation minutes. Um, But if you, if you subtract Lonzo ball and Redick from this team, um, Nikhil's going to get some more minutes, and then you're going to get consistent minutes with Kyra off the bench. Now, is it possible that they would be a disaster? Yeah, um, but failure is one of the best ways to learn in the league. Um, there, there's there's a litany of NBA point guards that came into the league young and were terrible because. I mean, it's the most difficult position to learn in the league, but the only way he's really going to get it if he's is if he's out there and he's getting the tape um, to see what he's doing wrong and to see what things he needs to change about his game. Um, the other thing is is that even if even if Lonzo Ball continues to play at the level he has been playing from the bubble and you know this season because. People forget sometimes when they're talking about what Lonzo has done is that the beginning of this season and his performance in these last 12 games mirrors quite quite clearly his his performance when they were in the bubble with a completely different system and a completely different coach. He was shooting 28% behind the arc then. He's shooting 28% behind the arc now. And when you look at his his career arc, it's much more likely that what we saw from December to March last year is the fluke and everything else that we've seen in his career is the reality. Um, And with that information, the Pelicans probably aren't going to be in a situation where they're willing to match. And yet his, his reputation and his relative age leads me to believe that somebody around the NBA in a situation where the free agent class is not very desirable at this point, and yet there's going to be a lot of cap space available around the league, that that creates a situation where Lonzo Ball is going to get a very unattractive offer sheet for the Pelicans to match. Um and so it's it's best for them to cut bait as soon as possible because if 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 we're in a situation where the pelicans are taking calls and they are you know listening to potential offers for lonzo ball then clearly it feels like lonzo ball is not in their long-term plans and if that's the case then why the only the only real rationalization to wait is because the offers aren't as good as you expect them to be but if they wait past the trade deadline, then you're looking at potential sign and trades. And honestly, teams are just going to sign them to the ugly offer sheet and tell the Pelicans, we dare you to match. It's not going to be a situation where he ends up being signed and trade. 
sign and trade it. So just do it now or as soon as you get a, a relatively decent offer. Now, Ali, I want to transition to how we got here, because ultimately Lonzo Ball had to at least been a consideration by David Griffin to be part of the Pelicans' long-term plans. Otherwise, they wouldn't have held on to him. They would have moved he and Josh Hart as soon as they made the trade, but they didn't. They kept him for near to 18 months, and now the Pelicans have lost eight of their last nine games, and we had questions about the fit. We had questions about the coaching hire, but what we didn't ultimately have questions about was their level of effort. We thought with Stan Van Gundy, at the minimum, these guys were going to show up, they were going to ball out, they were going to take whatever punch other teams gave, and they were going to throw one right back. And if they lost, so be it. But what really, really concerns us is what Stan Van Gundy's comments were, that this team overall just lacks intensity. They lack effort. It's the same problem that we had with Alvin Gentry. However, now it starts with their two young stars in Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, guys with whom effort was not a problem prior to their time in New Orleans. These are guys who always say the right thing. They work their tails off off the court. Uh, Zion was supposed to be you know, a heady defender coming from Duke. Brandon Ingram was a much better defender in Los Angeles than he's been here. Ali, why can't we get these young players in New Orleans to give the effort we expect from them? Because we're in New Orleans, Preston. Don't you know that? <laughs> no. I mean, honestly, first we got to clarify what you mean by effort. It's not the fact of these guys don't are giving the energy to run up and down the court to where they're just simply being out hustled. It's a combination of things in my mind, and it has to do with a lot of IQ. Um, the players are not combining both with what they're learning from the coach and just making the right smart play in combination with, of course, with get, just giving a little bit more energy, right? The second and third effort is what I'm particularly looking at. Um, and, and it was on full display against the Timberwolves, I felt like, because in the second half, you know, which has become a theme for this team, right? They get whipped uh, a little bit in the second quarter, but then the second half, they just, the, the house completely crumbles. And for a Timberwolves squad that was missing, you know, their marquee guys, Cat and uh, D'Angelo Russell, for them to be out-rebounded and look at every statistic in the second half, the fast break points, the second chance points, points off turnovers, Timberwolves won them all. Um, they got to the free throw line for the game, I want to say 37 times. The Pelicans hadn't allowed an opponent to the line more than 27 times, and usually they've been a lot better than that. So everything's trending the wrong way. And so when, when, when Stan Van Gundy's talking about effort, he's also talking more about a disposition, a frame of mind. So you're not giving it your all. doesn't mean just from a legs perspective, like I said, running. It's just everything, right? Just doing what it takes to win. And right now the Pelicans aren't. Uh, Grub, just to talk about, you know, if the Pelicans could turn around, we've got some kind of questions. Uh, do you imagine there there is a way in which the Pelicans could turn around, get this win against Washington, maybe pull an upset against Milwaukee and get back on track? And the first thing that comes last season when Drew Holiday was interviewed and said, you know, defensively, we weren't showing up. And we sat with Jeff Bezelik and he said, hey, how would you guys prefer to defend? And from that point forward, we played much better basketball. We were top 10 defense after that. Do you think there is a conversation right now that Stan Van Gundy can have with these players that can kind of make this simpler for them and get them to play maybe a simpler brand of basketball and get back to at least more consistent performances. I don't know how much simpler it gets than, you know, stop ball penetration like that. <laughs> like it, you're watching them do pick and roll defense. Mm -hmm. and, and we've talked about this in the chat where you can literally watch that same Utah pick and roll or watch Minnesota. You watch Ricky Rubio doing it with Nas Reed. With Nas Reed running a pick and roll, 
and you see Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe giving ground. And then when Adams goes to recover to Nas Reed, Rubio goes right by Bledsoe. And they did it again. And Antonio Daniels calling it. Remember, you're watching the broadcast. I told you they're going to run it again. They're going to run it again. And they ran it maybe six, seven times in a row. The same pick and roll. Mm-hmm. The exact same one. And the Pelicans reacted the exact same way every time. And Eric Bledsoe let rookie Rubio get to the basket every time. It either finished in a layup for Rubio, it finished in a dunk for somebody else, or they got to the line every single time. And it's just those are things that have nothing to do with coaching. I can't say, how do you want me to simplify this, guys? I can't tell you how do you want me to simplify bumping the cutter. I can't tell you how to understand that when you are closing out on a seven footer who's at the corner, it's a lot different than closing out at the guy who's six foot seven who can put the ball on the ground. You know, it's, it's, it's basic things that they do not pay attention to the details of the game of basketball that separate professionals from great athletes. And right now this is a team that is not super high in athletic skill. It's not super high in basketball IQ. And it certainly isn't super high in teamwork. So you you have a lot to build, to work with and work around to try to make this team into a consistent winner or at least to give, like right now, again, we said the last homestand and the last road trip, we weren't even looking at the records. We were looking, we were far more concerned about the performance level. And so that, you just want to see them at least get to a, a, a week where you say, they played the same every night and gave a consistent effort. Get me there first before we start talking about any kind of winning streaks. Wow. Well said. <laughs> I loved it. That was awesome. I know. So it, but it almost makes me sad because I feel like um, Grub is like uh, probably the most fair and unbiased among us, at least uh, one of the higher ones with the bird rights. And it's it's very rare that that I hear what sounds like. Uh, verbal frustration from him and it, it just honestly sounded like almost like he was coaching the unit and he was disappointed with their with their lack of ability to diagnose these plays that that are quite simple to the eyes when casual fans can spot it you would imagine that somebody who's picked number one overall in the nba should be able to spot it uh but that's neither here nor there i want to talk to fish about this because fish obviously you were higher on this team than i think any of us were you predicted 40 wins. Uh, you thought they'd get back to 500 by the end of the month. And of course, Minis- the performance against Minnesota uh, put a stop to all that. But do you still have any optimism hiding uh, behind those eyes anywhere that the Pelicans can still figure this out? And even if they do ultimately trade some of these backcourt players, that at least they can spend a bit more time building up some value for them. Um, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why we wouldn't continue to be optimistic about the long-term um, situation for this franchise. Now, maybe this season isn't going to be nearly as rosy as I thought it would be, um, but they still have, you know, a massive bucket of pickets of, of picks that they're sitting on that they can eventually use to improve this team. Um, and I still think that outside of the Minnesota game, what we saw um, is a, a lot to do with the quality of opponents than um, we we maybe gave it credit for. And I think that the Pelicans still have a chance to, when they get into the meat of their schedule, if they continue to commit to the kind of defense they were playing before they went on the road trip, um, and especially the kind of defense that they were playing in December, 
um, if they commit to that and the ball bounces a different way for them just a couple times, I mean, this team would be within a stone's throw of 500. I mean, the, the Charlotte loss and not the Charlotte loss. Well, I mean, to a degree, the Charlotte OKC and Indiana losses to lose all three of those games, considering everything that went against the Pelicans, just in terms of good shooters missing a whole bunch of open shots and then like almost historic collapses in the last minute twice. Um, I mean, if the Pelicans get two of those wins and we're talking about a team that's seven and eight, we wouldn't we wouldn't be having this discussion about. But they could be three how, and twelve too. True, but but um, I mean the the thing is, is that I mean if they were if they were three and twelve, like I would you know I, I would be on board with it. But they're not. They're five and ten, and they're through the most difficult por- portion of the schedule. And if it continues. Then yeah, I mean, I'll I'll abandon what remaining optimism that I have, um, but I'm still going to say, in analyzing this team, they lost to they lost a couple fluke games. They lost to a bunch of teams that are really good, and then at the end of this, at the end of a historically long road trip for the team, they absolutely came out flat against Minnesota. And if if that continues, if they continue to be flat then yeah, I'll change it. But I I only see one horrendous performance that raises massive red flags, and that's the Minnesota game. Um, and bad, uh, good teams have bad performances, and the Pelicans are a mediocre team, and they will have more bad performances than a good team. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. But a mediocre team can still, you know, end up finishing around 500. And if this team finishes around 500, um, considering, you know, how we've reacted to the last two weeks, it's going to look like we were, you know, screaming fire in the theater because I don't know, somebody was smoking a cigarette. Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at bet online. Bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on everything imaginable this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props. Bet online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code Armchair to take advantages of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. But didn't we? Uh, oh, I, I, but didn't we also say, even before they, the the opponent's quality raised, the the numbers on the defense were built against mediocre opponents. Toronto is one of the worst offenses in the NBA. Miami, one of the worst offenses in the NBA. Phoenix has struggled. Oklahoma City, one of the worst offenses in the NBA, and they split with them. And the game against Miami was a beatdown. The game against Phoenix was a beatdown. The San Antonio win was fluky. So, I mean, you, there's, I mean, like, as much of a case you could have for optimism, you could have for severe pessimism if you, if you just looked, I mean, if you wanted to look at it through a different lens. 
So it's not like they've been particularly impressive in any game this season because their best win is over the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'll split the medium. Yeah, I, I see it both ways. I see it from both of your guys' perspective. I think that's the biggest takeaway. We know that the Pelicans are not a top five team in the West, but I, th- I feel like they can fall anywhere in between there. When you look at the standings, in fifth place are the Phoenix Suns with a 9-7 record. So I, I think the entire West is still up for grabs and filling out the spots from the top teams. And, you know, New Orleans is, you know, who knows where they're going to end up. Because honestly, I don't think they can play any worse. So we're seeing a team that's 5-10 and 10 that's given away some wins. They can't, I, I feel like, like I said, they can't play any worse. But on the flip side, David, you're absolutely right. And I've mentioned it to when you guys were having this discussion in our chat the other day that, look, they could have very easily lost that second game to Toronto. Remember, they were trying to crumble down the stretch of that one where Lonzo had, uh, you know, a turnover and they were just shaky. And they lucked out in that win over the San Antonio Spurs, right? So, yeah, I don't think you should make any determinations about this team. I guess that, that's, that's my biggest takeaway. 15 games in, we don't know where they're going to end up because we've seen way too much, you know, whether it's bad luck from one perspective to just the poor performances on the other. Now, uh, I want to follow this up with Grubb. Obviously, you've spent a lot of time uh, with the team, as has uh, Ali inside the, the Smoothie King Center. And one of my concerns with this report with Shams Trana is we've already got the, the Pelicans players commenting on these trade rumors. Uh, Brandon Ingram had a comment. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it basically just said, keep having fun, keep balling, keep playing your game. Uh, but it has to have some kind of effect in the locker room when you know that your time with the franchise is short and a team is basically just looking for the right time to deal you. Uh, how does that kind of thing affect a locker room when two of your pivotal players, probably your top seven guys, uh, know that their time with the with the organization is at an end and it could be they could be moved within a day, week's time? How does that affect the play on on the floor? So what do you do? What are your natural instincts to do then? As a person, you're you're going to protect yourself. You know what I mean? Like I'm an asset now. I know I am no longer invested here. I can't afford to be invested in 100% here. I have to invest 100% in myself. And those are two naturally, you know, conflicting goals. You can't be 100% invested in the team or yourself. You have to give something to other. And once you've figured out that the team is moving you and that it's going to happen. I mean, it's going to happen for Lonzo, I believe, at this point. It's going to happen for JJ at this point. I can't say that definitively for Josh Hart, depending on the money that's available. He may be a good option at the end of the year. But I think for those two and maybe Eric Bledsoe, I think they all feel or may want to be out already. Bledsoe may have may already be thinking to himself, how can I get out of here? Once that happens, we've seen it. It's, you go back to your piece on Anthony Davis and him talking about not being happy. Well, that permeates through the locker room. People know it. It's not like it was a secret that Anthony Davis wasn't happy. It's just like it wasn't a secret when he told the team beforehand, he told Alfred Payton, I want out that I'm going to ask for a trade demand. Well, once that goes in, everyone's agenda has to change because now you see, like you said, minutes are now up for grab. I want your minutes or I want this, or I'm ready for this guy to go. Or, you know, those things are just natural parts of any workplace. And I think it does damage it. So I think if you're, again, for Stan Van Gundy, it once this stuff comes out, my conversation, my first phone call with David Griffin is, Griff, whatever you're going to do, Mm-hmm. do it man like whatever you're gonna do just let me know 
and let it happen so I can go about the business of coaching my basketball team because that's what you hired me to do. I don't want the front office mess. That's what we talked about. Do what you're going to do with your team. Just let me know what's happening so I can communicate with my players and I can have the kind of environment that's going to lead to trust, that's going to lead to consistency, that's going to lead to this culture that you want because you cannot keep guys who are not part of your culture around your young players if they're going to be the standard bearers. Yeah, I think what we need to talk about is we all saw it yesterday. Kendrick Perkins, one little tweet, uh, hashtag free JJ Reddick. Guess who liked it? Josh Hart. So, mm-hmm. yeah, without a doubt, it's hanging over the locker room. And I don't know what it means personally for Josh Hart, but the fact that he wants to see one of his teammates and one that I know is idolized by every single person in that locker room gone on, on a different team. Well, I think that tells you exactly what Reddick's mindset is now, but you have to wonder about the rest of the guys. So I'm a thousand percent with David. I'm glad he just said that. If we have to wait till the trade deadline, this is going to be a disastrous season. I'm not sure how much that both, you know, from a one end, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson are going to be able to learn and develop because they're not going to have the support of their teammates like they should around them to the development. Why are we stalling when it looks like the locker room already has a sense of what they want to happen and probably should happen? Yeah, when you listen to J.J. Reddick's podcast uh, of just a few months ago, just gushing over playing with LeBron James and how it's a dream of his and he wants to do it before he retires. I know the players hear that. Uh, and when you say something like that and you say the best chance to contend comes with LeBron James, he's not lying. He's being perfectly honest. And that's what we love about J.J. is he always is perfectly candid. But as a teammate, what do you think when you hear that, that he's not serious about contending with the New Orleans Pelicans? I don't know. That's how it would affect me. But of course, I'm not in those shoes. I want to talk about Eric Bledsoe briefly, uh, Fish. Uh, I've been really hard on him in the chats. I, I never understood why the Pelicans held on to him, not just not because he's not a serviceable player. I just never saw the fit in New Orleans. I never saw him as a guy who would be happy playing in New Orleans. And at times we have saw, seen that defensive bulldog uh, that we all heard about from Milwaukee and that we've seen play in Phoenix and uh, Los Angeles. But uh, he self-admittedly said that sometimes the defense fucking sucks and that's on them and it's an effort thing. Uh, and you also have to put that on Bledsoe. However, Fish... He is a guy who's not afraid. He is a guy who's aggressive, who's tenacious, something the Pelicans desperately need from time to time. And he is shooting over 40% from three-point range. Tell us, what do you think the value is for Eric Bledsoe? And um, how strongly do you want to move him along with Redick and Lonzo Ball at this point in time? I would like to move him, but moving moving Eric Bledsoe isn't necessarily a massive uh, priority to me because the Pelicans would need somebody to start at point guard. And while I would like the Pelicans to find a way to get Kyra Lewis minutes, I do not want that to come in a situation where they're going to try to start Kyra Lewis. Um, There's a way to kind of ease him into it. And that would be, you know, he's your primary reserve point guard off the bench. um, And he gets his, you know, 15 to 20 minutes a game. Um, Eric Bledsoe, I think he still has value around the league. I think his contract might be more valuable than him as a player beyond this season due to how much of, not next season, but the the last season of his contract is not guaranteed. Um, And so, and he's doing a lot of the things that the Pelicans need from a point guard in terms of penetrating, knocking down open shots. 
he hasn't necessarily been nearly as good as advertised defensively. It hasn't um, been close. Hasn't been close. It hasn't um, been close. It's been a big drop off. Um, and I, I, I don't know how you you expect that to continue. Is that just a is that a situation where he's just disengaged? Um, he's not really at an age where you expect he's going to have some kind of massive drop off defensively yet. Um, is it a situation with the locker room? Is it a situation with the defensive system that he hasn't adjusted completely to it um, from what he was doing in Milwaukee? I don't know. Um, if the if the right trade came along, yes, trade at Eric Bledsoe. But he's under contract next year. I think his contract becomes vastly easier to move as early as this summer. Um, whereas with J.J. Redick and Lonzo Ball, since they are approaching free agency and restricted free agency, respectively, the decision has to be made by this March. The decision with Eric Bledsoe is not ticking nearly as loudly. So, yes, move him if a, if, if a decent deal comes along, but keep Eric Bledsoe. If, don't trade Eric Bledsoe just to trade him because – it's not a situation where he's just going to be gone next year and you got nothing for him. That is a situation with Lonzo Ball and J.J. Redick. Now, Ali, I'm going to veer off course just for a moment, just because we really haven't uh, touched upon the San Antonio game uh, in which nothing happened. And it was just a COVID tracing protocol as far as we know. No new Pelicans players have tested positive for the coronavirus, but uh, now my wife is cautioning me not to leave the house because apparently we're supposed to wear three masks and 20 different states have these new strains of coronavirus, which are said to be uh, more contagious than the previous versions or version. Uh, Ali, we, we've discussed this on previous podcasts, just what the Pelicans are dealing with in terms of leaving their family, their shortened schedules, that sort of thing. Do you get the sense just from being around this team that there is just a little bit less fire behind the eyes of these Pelicans than in previous seasons, just based upon what's happening, uh, I, I guess, in our society today? You know, honestly, you would think that, but I have not gotten that sense. And when you ask some players directly about how they feel um, this new world, this pandemic has had an effect on both their mentalities and just, you know, their everyday lives you don't really get, like I said, the sense that it has. Uh, and specifically with Brandon Ingram, we had just asked him that yesterday. And he says, no, I mean, it's all basketball all the time for me. He says he stays up to date with his family and friends. Um, but other than that, he's like, no, I'm pretty much still doing what I want um, and what I love to do. So I, I don't know. I think it probably depends on who you ask. I think there has to be undoubtedly some people – that is thrown for a loop, especially when you go on this road trip, right? Not the fact that it's just, you know, last two weeks, but it's the fact that you're stuck in your hotel room uh, because the NBA had suddenly enforced even stricter um, protocols at the start of this month because of, you know, the outbreaks that were happening across the NBA with the postponements and stuff. So I have a feeling that has to affect people mentally. Um, and maybe David's grubs the better person to ask about this. Yeah, but for sure. Like, like, like I said, I, I've got to think that it's an individual thing that some people is going to wear on and you're going to get in a more depressed mood. So, of course, it's going to be harder to get excited about the game, to focus on the game and such. But like I said, you know, you've got to think every team's going through it. So unless the Pelicans are unusually more susceptible to these 
um, you know, these new conditions of the environment, which I don't think they are, by the way. That's why I prefaced with what I said that I didn't get the sense at all, especially from BI, but you just don't know. And I don't want to guess or speak on behalf of anybody, but David, do you have anything to add? Grub, you there? Maybe he's not. Okay. Yeah, I'll kill some. I'll kill some time while we wait for Grub. Uh, just basically, uh, we know that Grub is going to these games covering Tulane athletics. We also know that Ali is uh, attending the Pelicans games uh, as the full-time beat reporter there. But for Grub, I don't know if you're back yet. But just from an analyst's uh, perspective, you're at these games. You've got the headset on. You're there for anywhere from two to three hours. How many people are you coming into contact with? How safe do you feel? How different is the vibe than it was in previous seasons for you? Okay, we've lost Grub, so we're going to go over to Fish and just continue this this line of thinking. Obviously, uh, COVID is is rampant over the season, but just in terms of what the Pelicans are going to continue to deal with, they're going to continue to see these these tro- uh, these tracing protocols, uh, the the two week protocol that. Adam Silver inflicted in which, you know, players weren't allowed to leave their their houses or their apartments. This is going to continue to happen. It's going to continue making the season more difficult for something like this. How difficult is this for an organization that's already floundering to not only get back on their feet, but also have to embrace all these new challenges while they're doing it? I mean, it's got to be tough for for the players. Um, I, I think actually there's there's probably a handful of Pelicans players and I would count um just speculating Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson amongst them who they really just want to hoop that's what they want to do um and, and and for guys like that um this might be this might be exactly what they wanted we're not focused on anything else um or they can't really see most of their entourage that they have it's just me going to the practice facility me going to the arena playing a game me coming back home, recovering, working out, you know, basketball, basketball, basketball all the time. The one thing I would say, um, and the one thing that does give me some pause in terms of my positive outlook for the team is the Pelicans haven't really had to deal with any adversity uh, relating to COVID on, on their own team. Um, they haven't had multiple players out and, you know, had to really uh, rejigger what they're doing with the rotation. Um, the Pelicans haven't had injuries. The Pelicans have been remarkably healthy and still they're five and 10. So if you ask me, like, eventually, historically, you know, what rooting for New Orleans professional basketball has been like, eventually you're hit by injuries or, um, all of the the you know a star player or two test positive for COVID and Brandon Ingram is going to be out for two weeks and now what do you do? Like I expect that's still probably on the table as something that will happen to this team, and then they will have real adversity. Um, we haven't seen them face adversity yet. We've just seen them face good opponents and crumble in the third quarter and one of their greatest opponents apparently is themselves and the desire to produce effort. So um, it'll be interesting if, if the Pelicans are, you know, on the negative end of some, of a COVID outbreak um, within the organization, how, how that they will deal with that. 
All right, we've lost Grub having some Wi-Fi issues. However, we're going to wrap up pretty soon. But before we do that, Ali, I just want to talk about your expectations for the Pelicans going forward. We've seen the starting units get out of the gate uh, pretty hot in most instances. And it's it's the second quarter, the third quarter, where the team ultimately crumbles. And, of course, this this team historically has has struggled in the clutch, uh, has, has been well documented by our site and others. Uh, but just in terms of what you want to see the Pelicans improve steadily over the next week or so, uh, what are the first things that you're looking for? I want to see they basically do what, you know, the coaching staff has prioritized. And that's to get back to what we saw them do a better job of at the start of the year. Now, I know that the offenses weren't clicking across the NBA, so the defensive numbers were um, a little bit more slanted than they probably should have been in the Pelicans' favor, right? Top two, top three, top four defense for the first five games. But what they were doing well is they were keeping opponents literally to one shot per possession. So they need to get back to rebounding the heck out of the ball because it's been hit or miss, I want to say, over the last 10 games. Um, also, there's no doubt they're putting opponents more on the free throw line. Again, that's one of Stan Van Gundy's biggest things. Don't put opponents to the free throw line. Another one, they're allow, allowing people to get inside the paint. So it's, it's breaking down the Pelicans' defense even more so. And what I mean by that is either if, if they're getting all the way to the rim, then they're scoring much more easily. Or once if the Pelicans are really forming that big of a wall and collapsing, then suddenly you're, of course, leaving wide open shooters. And that's been a common theme throughout the year. At least they were def- keeping, you know, the looks down around the rim area um, at the start of the year. But they are certainly not now. So now opponents can basically get whatever they want, wherever they want. And so for me, I want to see that defensive effort. Because there's no doubt this team is not going to be a run-and-gun style team, and it's going to have to start with that end of the floor. So if you're giving up 120 points in Minnesota Timberwolves, Pelicans are going to be towards the bottom, if not in the cellar of the Western Conference, if they keep up that style of play. So you want to see improvements on that end. And I think in, in turn, that's going to help everything else. I think that's going to lead to um, better third and fourth quarter minutes and production out of the guys that we want to see with the balls, both Zion and Brandon. But first, it's got to come on that defensive end, man. They've got to tighten up. Yeah, they are fourth in the NBA uh, at defending the paint, only 41.9 points per game. However, from the three-point line, they are dead last. They give 42 shots and 16 makes. Uh, that's Impressive, the- real quick. I know that they're not allowing that many looks, but you ought to see what the conversion rate. I, if I'm not mistaken, opponents are second in terms of converting at the rim. So even though the looks are down, they're still having too easy of a time because when they do get there, they're scoring. Gotcha. Yeah, they are uh, 14th in opponent shooting uh, percentage, but obviously that shifts from the paint to the three-point line. And and that a lot of that will come from communication, the pick and roll, among other places. And uh, uh, like Grub mentioned earlier, uh, hitting guys on the way to the rim, putting a body in front, just communicating, switching. Fish, let's talk about the offensive side of the floor. What can the Pelicans do better on that end? Seemingly everything. They're eighth in scoring in the paint. However, they're 29th uh, in distance shooting, shooting efficiency. They're in the bottom 10th. They're in the bottom 10th in a lot of major categories. Where would you like to see them improve? Um, A lot of the shooting behind the arc, I think, is a matter of the Pelicans need to get the ball to Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson in motion. And then those players, when the defense inevitably collapses, can kick out. Um, the other part of that is um, Eric Bledsoe and um, Nikhil 
Alexander Walker to a lesser extent. When they do drive, um, they get a little bit of tunnel vision. Um, the Pelicans, what they're really lacking is they're they're lacking um, the kickouts to open set three point shooters, and then those three point shooters knocking those shots down. And the way you create those shots is either with motion or by attacking the basket and getting the defense to collapse and then kicking out and then making the shot. Um, so that's that's what the Pelicans need to do most for me. Um, they need to find a way to pressure the rim. And if they, if they do that, the end result will be they're going to create um, those open looks. And then the more often they're creating open looks for three-point shooters with their feet set, um, we would expect that more of those shots will um, start to find their way to the bottom of the net. All right, friends, uh, we'll be discussing some better trade packages for Alonzo Ball in the future. Maybe that would be a good roundtable for us as well. In the meantime, you can go to SBNation.com and check out Ricky O'Donnell's work on Lonzo Ball potential packages. His last three, I think, are pretty intriguing. Uh, Chicago's Lori Markinen, he prefaced the Pelicans would have to throw in a pick. I'm sure that'd be something they'd be willing to do uh, for Markinen's ability to stretch the floor and to see if he he could work in some kind of giant lineup with Lonzo, or sorry, with Zion and Brandon Ingram. Uh, Toronto, he's got Terrence Davis and Norman Powell, if you don't know who they are. Norman Powell was nearly a 50-40-90 guy last season. He's on a manageable contract. Terrence Davis, as a rookie last year, was a great 3 and D wing. He's regressed a bit this year. And then Dallas, a future first, and Dwight Powell. That might be an indictment on uh, Stephen Adams' future with the, with the team. I don't think Stephen Adams could be moved. So would you be comfortable with Powell coming off the bench? Maybe not necessarily, but um, if you're going to move him anyway, if it's a protected pick, that might be, just to give you some depth at that position, that might be worth investigating. Uh, for now, Ali, tell us about what you're going to be working on this week. Well, I mean, I think we're just going to see whether the Pelicans stop the bleeding or should we be pushing, you know, the, the all the red alert siren buttons because they're really in a funk, right? They've lost eight to nine. We know last year's 13 game losing streaks at a franchise record. So nobody wants to relive that. But you just hope to see more inspired play and therefore we can start writing a little bit more positive articles. That's the reason why we haven't posted too many analytical piece because it's it's largely been negative so i'm not I'm, i don't like to be that guy all too often so yeah Preston, we're just gonna wait and see we're gonna see how the rest of this week pans out first yeah i noticed that deuce and louis and i apologize i don't know how to say his name i've never actually talked to him but he is really funny on twitter the two of them are talking about uh bryn ingram's second half struggles but really there's just so much uh negative things to pinpoint i don't know how you talk about just one uh so are looking forward to having some more positive things to report on for the pelicans hopefully this week and hopefully that starts with washington fish you also have an article on the birdrights.com right now about lonzo and why the pelicans would benefit from moving him but talk about uh what a win over washington might mean for this team I'd rather talk about what a loss might mean. Um, because <laughs> honestly, well, no, because I, I think I think we're at the point now where I, I'm not saying this in terms of the Pelicans should tank. I'm saying this in terms of if the Pelicans find a way to gather a couple more, like one or two more embarrassing losses, it might push the front office to making the change sooner. Like if the Pelicans come out and they're flat and the team, you know, isn't giving the effort and things like that, the front office might look at that and be like, look, those trade rumors, et cetera, have have damaged the locker room 
to an extent that we need to clear the air. And the best way to clear the air isn't to come out with some absolutely loaded bullshit statement from the GM that the, we're not going to trade these guys that we're clearly going to trade. It's to just do it and to cut the cord. <clears throat> and if the Pelicans do that and the Pelicans just go ahead and move on and try to reset the locker room a little bit by clearing the air and making the trades and opening up the minutes for Kyra, um, especially Kyra, I think that that could be, that could go a long way to turning around this season for the team because, I mean, honestly, Kyra, Kyra, if he gets those minutes, we've seen what he does. He's going to push the pace. He's going to pressure the rim. He's, I would say right now already, he's probably the best passer on the team. He makes passes after a drive to the basket that I haven't seen any of the Pelicans guards capable of making. So, um, and it's not a situation nothing about what we know about Kyra Lewis tells us he's going to be, Oh, he's satisfied that he's finally getting minutes in the NBA. He's going to continue to push. And I think that that might be the jolt that this team needs is to just clear the air. And the best way to do that might be another embarrassing, pathetic loss to the Washington wizards who are in the second game of a back-to-back and lost by double figures to the Houston Rockets last night. It's funny. I just really quickly want to say that I think, that having a couple good games, especially by the guys struggling that are on the trade block, would be even better. I mean, I think some teams may actually feel better if they see J.J. Redick have a couple of 20-point performances and really nail that three ball. Or maybe Lonzo Ball go out and have a triple-double. I don't know. So I, I guess that's up for discussion. But it's funny. I'm looking at it totally the other way. Because if it seems like to me, and remember, Fish, you brought that up in your article, was that it doesn't feel like the Pelicans are getting the offers that they want to hear. So continued garbage play by especially the guys you're trying to trade doesn't seem like that's going to push David Griffin, who we know is kind of, you know, he's level-headed, but he's also very, you know, staunch in his beliefs, especially when it comes to trades, right? How much he got out of the Laker deal, what he was able to get for Drew Holiday. You just got a feeling that he's not going to acquiesce just because a few more losses are creating a, just a little bit more, uh, unfriendly or whatever you want to call it type of locker room. So I'm actually rooting for a couple of good performances, especially by some of these guys we've been talking about the whole podcast. I'm the same. You'd like to get something for these guys and more dismal performances uh, would, would lend uh, Griffin more towards just dumping players, which, which isn't what we want. We like these players and they have shown uh, skill at times. They just haven't shown the consistency this season that we would have wanted from them. According to NBA draft.net, the Pelicans will choose seventh, 32nd, 37th, and 45th uh, as it stands right now. So if they do lose to the Wizards, at least we have a lot of prospects that we can look forward to meeting next season. Uh, Thank you so much. I I just want to go through right now some of the questions that we got in. We we addressed them all uh, a bit indirectly. Let's go to... Yaberstada, what a great, uh, what a great name. Some of the other ones, Crescent City Connection, Will Imbo on that Saints... That's funny. Derek uh, QNRRR and Ryan Jaffo. Thank you so much for your questions. We'll be back uh, talking to you guys soon. Thank you to David Grubb. You can follow him at DM Grubb. You can listen to his podcast, Hard in the Paint. You can also follow him on Tulane Athletics on ESPNU at fish underscore TBW at Ali Cosell. I am Preston Ellis. Uh, Thank you as always for your support. 
you guys have been so awesome this week and have been so supportive of the podcast, whoever's been hosting it. So just want to thank you for that again. If you could do us one favor, just retweet, share, tell your friends about it. But for now, uh, let's let's try to get back to more some more positivity. If you are on Twitty, Twitter and it does look like it's burning to the ground, just, just post a picture of a baby or a dog. I'm sure it will help a lot of people feel better about their day. For now, let's dance. Let's go, pals. Thank you for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today